come to you just grateful for, for a new year. Because uh, of the with new beginnings and fresh starts, whatever. God, just um, may we choose just to, uh, to follow you. Look closer this year, God. That when we get to January 1st of 2021, may we be able to look back on this year and, and, and see that we've grown closer to you in this year. God, may you provide ways for us to grow. May we be obedient um, in those opportunities. May you Show us how much you love us, how, how, uh, how much we need you, God, and how, uh, how much you care for us. God, just pray for this next hour, this series, this, this year. God, as we study something new, because uh, we just want to dig a little bit deeper and become closer to you, God. Shame, I pray. Amen. All right, so again, this is, uh, this is rescue. This is our little theme here. Imagine waking up every day to work in a cold brick factory. For 18 hours, you mold clay into bricks. You're sick, but you can't get help. You can't even afford to buy food and feed your son, also a slave. Just when you think you can't work another day, a rescue team shows up. For the first time in years, you're free. Sounds pretty different from your life, right? The truth is, we're all born in slavery to sin and death. In this fallen and corrupt world, we need a rescuer, Jesus, our Savior and Redeemer. But unlike the slaves from the story, we got ourselves in this mess. Jesus went on a rescue mission to save you from bondage, even though you didn't deserve it. But once you're free, he asks an important question. Will you join his mission? Will you help save others from slavery? Will you introduce them to Jesus, the rescuer? so they too can experience the freedom found in God's family. So that's like I said, that, those are the eight um, core truths we're going to be talking about for the year, but this first one uh, is just called rescue. But as you know, there's just so much evil uh, in the world and so many different perspectives on how to solve it. Uh, the truth is, when sin entered the world, uh, humanity became broken, right? And so we became slaves, we, became, we are held captive uh, by terrible enemies, uh, which is sin and death. And in this fallen, corrupt, and shattered world, uh, we need a rescuer. There's no way to rescue ourselves, and we need a Savior, right? And so, who, who's our Savior? Jesus. It's a very easy answer, Jesus. He rescued us, and he has commissioned us to tell others how they can be rescued as well. Search and rescue operations are performed all over the world uh, every day. They usually involve people who, uh, due to a natural disaster or injury, they're in need uh, of rescue of some kind. They're unable to get themselves out of their situations, and uh, their very survival just depends on being rescued uh, by something or by someone else. In 2015, two teens, actually in Texas, uh, were rescued by a helicopter when their pickup truck uh, was nearly submerged by a flooded creek. You guys, I'll have a, the video of, of their little rescue here. It's kind of crazy. Easy. The first attempt, rescuers on the water, holding life jackets, slowly making their way on their hands and feet, clutching tightly to a fence with currents rushing through. Gary Olte and H.G. Chaparade watching every move. Because if that water is rising, those guys are going to be in a little bit of trouble. That method deemed too risky, we watched as rescuers slowly creeped back away from the stranded truck. In the middle of all of it, one of the two stranded teams took to social media, playing quizzes.
okay, guys. My truck dream is ruined. Waiting on a helicopter evacuation right now. After considering a boat rescue, crews brought in a Black Hawk helicopter. Watch as rescuers slowly drop down and hoist one of them up to the waiting helicopter. After more than one hour in rising flash flood waters, both are plucked from the truck. So, so these two young men, they were stuck, right? I mean, they were stuck. They were stranded on the roof of that truck um, that will probably soon be submerged and leaving to be swept away uh, by those rushing waters. But the helicopter, of course, transported them from that unstable state to a safe place, which was solid ground. Later on in the video, you could see them kind of reconnecting with their grandpa and stuff. So this illustrates what Jesus does for us. We need to acknowledge our need to be rescued and to transfer our alliance uh, from whatever we previously trusted to save us, like this pickup truck, to Jesus, which is, of course, res represented by the rescue team, uh, to the helicopter. But unfortunately, most people do not know that they're in need of sp spiritual liberation. Uh, if you ask some of your friends, I'm sure some of them would be like, well, you know what, I'm, I'm fine the way I am. I don't need to be saved. I don't need to be rescued from anything. Um, some of you guys may be sitting there thinking the same thing. I'm fine. I don't need to be rescued from anything. The, the truth is, you and your friends need to be rescued in, in the very greatest sense of the word. You may, you may feel that the, the world is confusing, that life has no meaning, or that there is more uh, to life. But it is impossible for them to reach out to God for help if they have no clue that needs to be rescued in the first place, Right? I mean, you're not going to call for help if you don't think you need help. That's just, that's logic, right? Most would say that they're doing fine. And in order to follow Jesus and become his disciple, you must first recognize your need for God and see that you cannot rescue yourself. There's nothing you can do to rescue yourself. It's one of the most fundamental questions that every worldview, every worldview, every religion, every just belief system tries to answer is what is wrong in the world. Each world religion, philosophy, school of thought, whatever you want to call it, has its own take on this ancient question. Why is it important to ask and answer this, this question correctly? Because the answers to this question take people down very different paths. They are life-altering. Different ways to answer this question will lead people differently. If you do not diagnose the problem correctly, you may be putting a band-aid on a broken leg, and of course that's not going to do you any good. You might be treating some of the symptoms of the disease, but not the disease itself. So what is wrong and how can it be fixed? We're going to look at responses from the world, and we're going to look at responses from the Word. I think it's very important we see the difference in how those two things respond to this question. So here's a response from the world. It seems like whenever something bad happens, people revisit the age-old question. You know, what is wrong with the world today? You know, often there's a lot of finger-pointing at each other. Uh, after an incident of violence or killing at a school, people call to reform gun control uh, or limit gratuitous violence in video games. When people will see conflict in the Middle East, some believe that power struggles are at the root of the problem, or money, or religion. But do these answers really get to the root of what's wrong with the world? Uh, Prince Ia is an American spoken word artist and filmmaker. This is a quick couple minutes of his video called uh, Why I Think This World Should End. This is a couple minutes of that video. 
think that he made any good points? Anybody agree with any of the stuff he said? And there's some things in there that he said that's like spot on. You know, materialism, hatred, violence, corruption. Uh, a lot of those, those things are truly wrong with the world. Uh, but there's something that goes much deeper uh, that gets underneath all of these broken situations. Uh, there's one answer that's at the root of them all. This guy named G.K. Chesterton, he was a preacher. He said this. He was once responded to a newspaper uh, column that asked the following question. What's wrong with the world today? His response to this deep question was simple. Dear sir, I am. Yours, G.K. Chesterton. Of course, Chesterton knew that we are all sinful, fallen people and that our uh, sinfulness is what is wrong with the world today. Now, things are definitely not the way they're supposed to be um, in the world. When humanity rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden, the perfection in the image of God became blemished and broken. And living in a post-Eden world means that there will be pain, that there will be suffering, there will be evil and selfishness all around us. So what is wrong with the world? We are people. Turn over to Romans chapter 3. Romans 3, 23. If you're using your... Uh, 
Bible there on your device. It's the uh, ESV translation. Romans 3.23. Um, I'm pretty sure if you spend any time uh, within uh, in Bible drill, you probably have memorized this at one point in time. If you grew up in church, I'm sure you at least heard it once or twice. So Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So just like in the garden, Satan is doing his very best to blind people to the truth about God and our Father's Day. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. That's just a couple books away. You're in Romans 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. says this, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. But there is an opportunity to change. But Satan will do his very best to keep the world the way that it is. He blinds people even of their need to be rescued. We see this all around us. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. My favorite author is this guy named Brendan Manning. He said this, uh, in, uh, The evil one is a great illusionist. He varnishes the truth and encourages dishonesty. Again, the evil one is a great illusionist. He varnishes the truth and encourages dishonesty. 1 John 1.8 says, if we, ha- if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So Satan prompts us to give importance to, to what has no importance. He clothes trivia with glitter and seduces us away from what is real. He causes us to live in a world of delusion and unreality and shadows because he is the great deceiver, the great illusionist. So, if we are what is wrong in the world, then the question is, how can we be fixed, right? If, if, if we believe that we are what's wrong in the world, how can we be fixed. I'm glad you guys asked that question. Once the image of God is blemished, how can it be made right? So the question again, what can make it right? In response to this question, um, again, we're going to look at a few different ways of what the world says, and then we're going to see what the Word says. One of the responses from the world that the world gives us is this, and you hear it all the time, be true to yourself, be true to ourselves. Live your life. Live life like you want to live your life. That is a lie straight from Satan. Someone who believes this might say something like, we only make the problem worse if we try to conform to the standards and and principles of organized religion and tradition. We need to forge our own path and live in such a way that allows us to be true to who we are. We need to obey our feelings and do what makes us happiest. If everyone had this perspective, would the world be a happier and better place? And some of you guys are like, yeah, that's right. No, it's not. You can go to some cultures in the world today and they have no problem killing people. We would see this as a wrong thing. Most, most of us, I think, would think see that as a wrong thing. God has set the truth 
of what is truth. It's in his word. You can see it there in his word. What, what is truth? It's, truth is an absolute. It's not relative. Uh, I think that I talked to either this past Sunday or the week before about moral relativism. <clears throat> now, that's such a pervasive ideology and belief system in our world today that what is true for you may not be true for me, and that's okay. That, that, that's a lie. That there is truth, and God has laid it out for us in his word. Another response that the world may give us is just simply just to be good. Be good. And we're like, at the surface level, we're like, that seems kind of a nice thing to do, right? You know, someone who believes this way might say something like, we should try to live as best as we can and become the best possible version of ourselves. As long as we're making the world a better place and helping us, you know, helping or serving people, God can't be angry with us, right? That's another view. That just to be good, because we think that God, all God wants from us is to be good enough. To hit these check marks like, I am the church today. I, you know, I marked that down. I read my Bible today. I prayed for the first time in six months. Let me mark it down. And we think all it takes is to be good. Show me in the Bible where God says, hey, I want you to be good enough. And that's it. That's not what he says. Because this is, this is the truth from the word. To be rescued. To be rescued. The Bible is clear that we cannot be good enough to somehow rescue ourselves. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It says, not your own doing. You can't do anything good enough. I, I, I was scrolling through my Twitter this morning. And I saw a post from a poor student of mine that says, I hope your 2020 um, gives you everything you deserve. And I'm like, I deserve death. I don't... I don't want that. I deserve death. You guys understand that. You guys making y'all okay. That's kind of a big deal. I hope 2020 gives you everything you deserve. I don't. I don't deserve anything, but God's grace and love and mercy has given me the things that I don't deserve, but I desperately need. Because he knows that I need to be rescued. He knows that I need to be rescued. So if we cannot save ourselves. How does the grace of God save us? God saves us through the person and work of his son, Jesus. So why did Jesus come to earth? Luke 4, uh, 18 and 19 says this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If you guys aren't excited about reading that, something's wrong with you. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. That is you and I. Are you guys, you guys see this? You and I are captive. We're slaves to sin. And here Jesus is telling us, he's, He sent me to proclaim liberty, proclaim freedom to the captives. That's you and I. He's come to, to, to give us freedom. Romans 5 8 says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died. For us. Despite all the junk in our lives, despite how bad we are, because the Bible says no one's good. That's just that's what the Bible says, not me. Despite all that, because of God's love, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Is anybody realizing how big of a deal this is? This is huge. All of these images are used to portray Jesus as our Savior. And our rescue. 
And so if we are what is wrong in the world, we cannot fix ourselves. And in the Bible, the law, I'm saying the law, capital L, like the first five books of the Bible, the law points us to the fact that we cannot be good and live a sinless life. Instead, God sent his son to live that perfect life for us. And Jesus made the payment so that our relationship with God can be restored. So just like a helicopter rescue on a ferocious river, we must recognize that we are not safe and we are in need of rescue. The truck we're standing on and clinging to is not good enough, not strong enough, and not able to save us for eternity. And we need something better. Maybe for you that truck is your good deeds. Maybe you try to, to be the best person that you can be and hope that's enough to save you. Maybe Others think that attending church uh, or good reputation is enough. I promise you, you can go to church every single time the doors are open and that's not going to be enough. You guys hear me? This is not, this, yes, this is good, but this is not it. Maybe you have no idea what you're clinging on to. Whatever it is, you need to transfer the trust and the faith that you have in that truck to the experienced rescuer offering his hand to you from the helicopter. So you know that you're rescued by Jesus' work on the cross. So what is the point of doing stuff for God now? You know, what is the motivation? Can't you just do whatever you want? I know God can save me. I know God can reach down from the helicopter and save me. So what's the point of doing anything good? What's the point? What's my motivation for this? You know, if, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, trusting him to rescue you, you know, what, what do you live for now? Even though works and good deeds do not save us, why should we do them? If Christ's work on the cross really rescued us, why do we work as if it's up to us? What is the point of remaining here on earth? What is the motivation to live for God and to be a disciple of Jesus? You know, we've established that we are not rescued based on our worthiness or what we can do. And living out God's mission for our lives does not come before salvation, nor does it earn salvation. It's actually the exact opposite. As a result of salvation, God rescuing us, we are then to live out His mission. God does not beam us up into heaven right after we're saved. He leaves us here on earth to do His mission. There's ways all around that you guys can, can stay here and to do his mission. Spring break, we're going to be heading to Waco to do a little mission, mission trip and uh, serve some people who desperately need help. Um, in, in the summer, we're still not sure uh, where we're going next summer with the church. Um, we give you a chance to just go and serve as well. There's, there's opportunities for you guys to do God's mission. Just, I promise you, go to, your, go to school on Tuesday and you'll see places to do his mission. A bunch of it, I promise you. So he left us here to do his mission. If we are truly Jesus' disciples, we will follow his teaching. That's what John tells us. Um, no, we cannot rescue other people ourselves, but we can tell them how they can be rescued by the grace of God. Does anybody, raise your hand, if, if, if you have people in your life who kind of poured into you, kind of showed you how you can be rescued by God. Does anybody have that? I had some fantastic teachers, Sunday school teachers at church. Um, my mom and then my grandma was just a huge influence on my life and showed me what it means to be rescued by Jesus. 
So there's good, like I said, there's a lot of hands shot up of who you got. Anybody want to name some names? You can name names. It's okay. Who, who's somebody that poured into you and showed you um, what it means to be rescued by God? I want to hear some names. Greg Hubelmeyer. Huh? Greg Hubelmeyer. It's okay to name names. I promise you. In the book of Hebrews, it says to, to thank those people. So just, you know, maybe on chance. Send them a text. Call them and say, hey, thank you for, for leading me. Yes. Raymond, what's his last name? Rabia. Rabia? Okay, cool. Anybody else? Give me some names. My sister. Your sister? Awesome. <coughs> we, we can all have, we have all these people in our lives who formed us and helped show us the way. And that's what I'm asking you guys. If you are already a follower of Christ, be that for somebody else. It may sound scary, it may sound risky, but I promise you it's worth it. It's worth it. In, in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, or 18 through 20, we, we've, heard, we, we've heard this passage a bunch. A lot of us know it. It's, again, it's on Bible drill. So if you do Bible drill, you know this. It says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. If any of this sounds familiar, we looked at it last week, although like half of you guys were done. That's okay. It's the holidays. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. Uh, many attribute the following quote to a guy named Martin Luther. Anybody ever heard of Martin Luther? Not Martin Luther King. Martin Luther. Uh, he's the guy who, who started the Protestant Reformation in 1596. Um, I think that's when it was. A long time ago. Posted his 95 theses there on uh, the church walls there in Gutenberg. And, uh, and started the Protestant Reformation. And so... If it wasn't for Martin Luther, we wouldn't be sitting in a Baptist church or any other uh, Protestant church. So a lot of people attribute this quote to him. We're not really sure if it was him. Nonetheless, it's amazing. We are all mere, we are all mere beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. We are all mere beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. Working at church for almost 17 years now, you have people that come to the church uh, pretty regularly. And... Um, Ask for help for, for food or gas or whatever it may be. That's a pretty common thing. Um, and uh, being in this long enough, you kind of know that if you, you know, if you help someone with, with, with a need, um, there's a good chance that they're going to go tell somebody else, hey, uh, Fan and Baptist, is, um, they help me, go, go hit them up. They, they may be helping you too. And, and so the, the word kind of spreads. And so you'll kind of see in the ebb and flow of how many you know, people um, coming because they, they, you know, there's times when we can help and sometimes there's just ways that we can't. And so when word gets out that we can, more people will show up. And then um, if we can't, that word will get spread out and then not as many people show up. That's just that's how it's been. That's kind of how it is. And it goes back to this quote. We're all mere beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. And that bread, of course, is who? Jesus, like there, on the Sunday school answer, is Jesus, who actually says, I am the bread of life. There's, there's nothing in us that puts us above anybody else. Y'all hear me? There's nothing in us that puts us above anybody else. We must continue to remind ourselves of our fallen state, lest we go proud or think that we're better. And when I say we, I mean us as Christians. Our potential to sin is no less or greater 
that anyone's acts will sin. We are all beggars. So let's tell some other beggars where they can get food uh, that will fill them for eternity. In case you just haven't noticed, um, which I'm sure you have, things on earth are not the way that they're supposed to be. Even after Christ rescued us, there's still sin, right? There's still sin on earth. There's still pain, there's still violence, there's still injustice. And it would be nice to escape those things to be with God. And that's, that's why we long for heaven. But for now, uh, we're placed here on this world in the midst of it. So as we wait for Jesus to come back, we look forward and hope because of God's faithfulness in the past. We, can, we know that he's faithful because of what he's done. And so we look forward to hope that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. So our faith in God leads us to work for him, knowing the reward that waits for us. John Piper acknowledges that gratitude for God's previous blessings can be the motivator for good works. But he also shows the shortcomings of that kind of thinking. He said, gratitude ordinarily looks back, right? Like when we had Thanksgiving a couple months ago, we're like, God, thank you for this list. And a lot of times it's looking back on things, correct? Anybody? It's gratitude. Our gratitude ordinarily looks back. And John Pop said, this is not bad. But we do not live in the past. None of our potential obedience can happen in the past. All of our lives will be lived in the future. Therefore, when we try to make gratitude empower this future obedience, something goes wrong. He says, gratitude is primarily a response to the past grace of God. It malfunctions when forced to, fun to, to function as motivation for the future. Unless it is transformed into faith in future grace. So faith in what God will provide for us in the future is great motivation and should be used together with gratitude. Piper then continues this. He says, Gratitude for bygone grace is constantly saying to faith, Be strong and do not doubt that God will be as gracious in the future as I know He's been in the past. And faith in future grace is constantly saying to gratitude, There's more grace to come and all our obedience is to be done in reliance on that future grace. So think about Jesus as you long for heaven and seek to carry out his mission. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by, such, by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Did you guys... Did you guys hear that part? I'm going to say it again. Who, talking about Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy, you guys hear, the joy did that willingly. The joy that was set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. It would make more sense to us if God just required us to be good to get into heaven. But God's priorities are a whole lot different than that. He doesn't want us to be merely good. His, his equation goes like this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So only through the rescuing work of Jesus do we have hope of eternal life. That grace doesn't just make us good. It transforms us on the inside. 
We begin to live for God as His children out of gratitude for what He's done in the past and through faith in what He's going to do in the future. I'm going to show this clip. Um, it may be kind of hard to hear. Um, I'll kind of explain it here in a minute. This is from uh, the musical, the movie that came out uh, of Lay Miz. Anybody ever seen that or heard it? Watched it? This is a scene um, from that movie that kind of sets up this whole story beautifully. In case you didn't catch what was going on there, um, Jean Valjean, Hugh Jackman right there, the life-changing interaction with this priest. 
Uh, this priest lets Valjean, a former convict and felon, stay with him for the night. And Valjean still um, felt that lure of thievery. And, and he's, as you notice, he snuck off with some of the priest's silver when he was caught. In the act of stealing, the priest pardoned him. Uh, the priest gave Valjean freedom when he deserved punishment. That priest gave him a new life. The priest even blessed him and gave him more riches on top of what he stole. Valjean's freedom was bought with a price, which was those stolen goods. And the priest, he's the one who paid that price, right? The priest instructed Valjean to live a new life instead of continuing on in his life of sin and depravity. And anybody else notice how similar that is to us? That, that, that is us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were rescued by the God who became human so we could spend eternity with Him. Uh, that's an amazing story and picture, uh, representation of, of what God has done for us. So we, we need to acknowledge the fact that we, we are in desperate need of rescue, that we can't do this on our own, that God, period, can do it. Not us. I'm going to pray. We've got a few more minutes. I'm going to ask, um, kind of spring on the teachers. I, I believe you need. Um, I'm going to give you guys a few minutes to kind of go back into your, your small groups and just kind of maybe just dig a little bit deeper, maybe ask some questions that we've already asked and just kind of let them open up a little bit more. Um, I know I didn't prepare you or give you anything to hand out, but again, I believe in you. Um, so let me pray, and then uh, while I'm praying, you can be thinking of some questions as well. God, may we just, may we see the need for a Savior. May we see that we need help, that we can't do this on our own. God, it's only through you and in your Son that we have any hope of salvation and to be rescued, God. I pray that we understand it's not about good deeds or coming to church or giving money. God, that's not what saves us, God. Those are the things that we do because of what God has done for us. I pray you give the, uh, the teachers wisdom and discernment in the next few minutes just to ask questions, God, just to maybe probe a little bit deeper, to reiterate some things that we've discussed, uh, share stories, God, whatever you place upon their heart, God, I pray that they're uh, obedient to what the Spirit is, is telling them this morning, God. Shame, I pray. Amen.